Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good. I don't get to be down here that often, so you might not know who I am. I'm Jeff Pittman. I'm a pastor here at Spring Lake, but I'm mostly at the Bellevue campus. But I come downtown and teach only when there's pulled pork after the services. And today happened to be that day, so anytime you have pulled pork, I told Bill I will teach here gladly whenever we have a meal. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here with everyone and get to know you guys a little bit more. Um, we are in a series called Share, and it's on a topic that I absolutely love, and that's the topic of evangelism. Now, evangelism in Christian circles has often gotten a bad name. You know, it's something that we're not always thrilled about engaging in. That's for a variety of different reasons. Uh, some might be political, meaning that we are a voting block and viewed as a vote voting block as opposed to people giving out good news. Uh, or maybe we think of images of people with signs, shouting at people with blow horns, that kind of type of thing. And we're like, that does, I don't want anything to do with that. That's not who I am. Uh, but for many different reasons, we as Christ followers put barriers between us and sharing our faith. For many of you, it might be the fact that you just don't know enough, right? You just don't know the answers to all the questions that someone might ask you. And so it hinders you from sharing your faith. Maybe you're, you're fearful that you might lose a friendship. That the dynamic of that friendship might change once God comes into that picture. Or you're fearful of being looked upon as being judgmental or trying to convert people. And there's these barriers that we have to sharing our faith. And so what often happens is we do multiple different things besides sharing our faith. We often can contract it out. Whether it would be writing a check to a missionary to go do it on your behalf. Or we just think, that's something that pastors are really good at. We'll just bring them to church and have the pastor take care of sharing their faith with them. Many of us simply just don't engage in it. In fact, when I talk to people about the different aspects of their faith, evangelism is often the lowest part of their faith. They, they, they look at their personal connection with God as being decent, maybe even their connection within the church as being solid, but their connection with people outside of the church who don't know Jesus is just not where they want it to be and not where God wants it to be either. So we have this dilemma where we have God's clear call for us to share our faith. It's very clear we need to share our faith, but many of us are not overly excited about doing it. Well, what if, what if evangelism didn't have to be that way? What if evangelism could be exciting, could be adventurous, something that we were eager and chomping at the bit to do, that we, were, that we went into conversations with people expecting them to respond, expecting them to have a great conversation about God? I believe evangelism can be that way, and that's the, that's the point of our series that we're going into. We're in the second week of the series, and last week, if you were here downtown, you heard Pastor Ryan talk, and he was giving a message about proximity, that we need to be close to people who don't know Jesus, you know, close to people who have not committed their life to Jesus, and he gave us three different next steps for us to be engaging in. Some of you guys might be doing this, and some of you guys might not be, and this might be a reminder for you of what Pastor Ryan talked about last week. He said we need to invest in friendships with people outside of our church. That means hanging out with somebody who doesn't believe everything you believe. Hang out with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, who's still checking this Jesus guy out. That means go and have lunch with someone 
go and go uh, this permission. Go have lunch with somebody. Invite them over uh, when you're in, in your yard, uh, raking your leaves. Invite them and talk to them. Start a friendship with somebody. Foster that even more with people who don't know Jesus. He even gave an option of just being a regular person somewhere, meaning like going somewhere on a regular basis. My wife does this every time she goes to Aldi. She goes to the same checkout line, to the same checkout person. She knows her by name. She knows her kid's name. She knows everything about this checkout person. That checkout person knows things about me that I don't even know she knows about me because they've started to connect with each other and develop a friendship with one another. And what's true for us in the church, specifically adults, is that we find that our friendship circles are people who are all within the church. And that doesn't help us share our faith when we don't are close to somebody who doesn't know Jesus or at least is on a, on, a, on a journey to know him more. So Ryan talked about that last week. We're going to talk about our role in sharing our faith today. And then next week, Pastor Jack is going to be here talking about clearly communicating. How do we clearly communicate the gospel in a compelling way? In, in a compelling way? And then Pastor Bill is going to wrap us up here at the downtown campus. We'll talk about what's a tool we can use to actually bless people within our midst. Well, today we're going to dive into Scripture in Matthew 9. So if you have a Bible, go over to Matthew 9. If you are on your devices, you can scroll over to Matthew 9. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 35. This is a verse that's been so uh, big for me as of late, so much so that every morning at 9.38 for, verse, for Matthew 9, verse 38, I set a reminder on my phone to remind me to be praying in the way that God has asked us to pray. So let me jump into it and we'll get going. Matthew 9, verse 35. It says, Jesus went throughout, through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So what we have going on here is that Jesus is going from town to town, from village to village, and he's going with his, his disciples. But he, as he's going, he's doing three different things. He's teaching. He's teaching in their synagogues. He's proclaiming the good news. That's evangelism. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And he's healing people. He's healing every sickness and every disease. He's doing these really cool miracles in the midst of all these folks. And the, the disciples are following him along. So they're following him. They're supporting him. They're watching him do all this stuff, right? And then they come back from this little tour around villages and cities and towns. And they're debriefing. They're having a time where they're debriefing what has all happened. And as they're debriefing, <clears throat> Jesus has an emotion come over him. And that is an emotion of compassion. He looks at all the crowds that have been following him along the way. And he, they, they've seen him do miracles. They've seen him teach. They've seen him preach. And he looks at all of them, and he has compassion on them. He talks about them being harassed and being helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. Now, that was definitely a physical characteristic that they, were, they had. However, he's talking more of a deeper description, a spiritual description. 
a group of people who are a sheep without a shepherd. They're wandering. They're directionless. They need to know about this kingdom that Jesus is instituting. And his heart is gripped with compassion. And then he asks the disciples to join him in this. And he says, uh, he wants them to pray for the Lord of the harvest, for God to send out workers into the harvest field. Now, I'm going to pause a little bit mo- moment here. There's a little bit of, we, we get to see the whole scripture. When we read scripture, we get to see what, what Jesus is talking about and what's going to happen after that, right? Well, the disciples don't know that yet, right? So they, they, don't, they just hear him for the very first time. But we know if we go over to Matthew 10, so the next couple of verses on, in Matthew 10, Jesus is going to be sending out those disciples. He's going to send them out to do the same stuff that Jesus just did by traveling from town to village. And so all these different teachings and preachings and healings, he's going to say, disciples, you're going to go do that just in a minute. But before he does this, and this is so brilliant, this is so brilliant. Before he does it, he says, I want you to pray for God to send out workers into the harvest fields. So in essence, he's telling them, I'm going to send you to the harvest field. But instead of just telling you that, I want you to pray about before sending, before sending on the harvest field. It's as if in my house, now I have five kids in my house. I have four who are my kids or for my forever kids. And I have a two-year-old, uh, two-year-old foster son who is awesome and a Tasmanian devil. I mean, he's kind of like all over the place and he's a two-year-old boy. He's exactly what he is, right? And so my house with, with five kids, eight or under, is a little bit chaotic in my house. It's a little bit chaotic and uh, the toys are all over my house. You guys, you guys feel me here? They're all over my house. So it's as if at the end of the day, I have two rooms that are probably the biggest areas that get played, played in, and there's toys everywhere. If I gathered all my kids around, I said, five kids, come over here, come over here, right? I want you to look out. The toys are plentiful in these two rooms. They are plentiful Let's ask, okay, let's ask the Lord of this house to send out workers to pick up the toys. Let's pray together, right? And so we gather around and we pray together and we say, in their, in their little kids' voices, they pray, God, can you send people out to pick up these toys? And then we say amen and I say, look, kids, they've answered our prayer. God has answered our prayer. Because you are the people going to go pick up those toys. Go pick them up. Pick up the toys. Jesus is doing the same ploy here. He's saying, I'm going to send you out into this harvest. This harvest is plentiful. There's people who need to know the good news about Jesus. And there's people all around here. And he says, I want you, disciples, I want you to pray to send out harvesters to go to harvest field. And then literally two verses later, he says, go. You're going to go. You're going to be going out to the harvest field. Now, if we take this verse, sometimes verses are hard to translate from the biblical time into our age now. Sometimes those are hard how to figure out. This one, not so hard, which is kind of fun and easy for us, right? Jesus looked around to a bunch of people in his world, and his heart was gripped with compassion passion for them. Well, today, it is still true. When Jesus looks at our world, and we should have the heart of Jesus, we should be gripped with compassion for people 
who don't know Jesus. And we don't just stay there, but we pray. And we pray that God would send out workers into the harvest field. And while that is not just for us, it's for a lot of different people, it includes us. When we pray that God would send out workers into the harvest field, we're praying for ourselves to be sent out into our world with a spirit of compassion to share this good news. Now that can be scary. We talked about that doesn't get rid of the barriers we have to share because we, we know that we were supposed to share. But how? How do we share in a way that isn't so, so fearful and so hard for us to do? Well, today we need to talk about some shifts, some shifts that we can make that should help us share our faith in, a, in an exciting way, in an adventurous way, in a way that we are eager and want to share our faith. And so if you're a fill-in-the-blank type person, your bulletin, or if you're following along on the Uversion app, there's some fill-in-the-blanks here which you're going to start filling in, okay? So if you're a fill-in-the-blank person, get your pen ready, right? One of the shifts we want to make is we want to start sharing our faith. Not all the words in the bulletin. Sharing our faith means being a travel guide instead of a salesman. Sharing our faith means being a travel guide instead of a salesman. Now, before I do forward in here, we're not here to bash salesmen. I love salesmen. Some of you guys are here who are salesmen, and we need salesmen in our world. We need salesmen. I'm not wired that way. Uh, not many people are wired that way to be salesmen. And so we talk about moving away from being a salesmanship in sharing our faith. It's meant to be that we have sharing our faith to be accessible for everybody. It isn't just excluded to certain people who are wired a certain way, but anyone who can participate in evangelism. So let me share about a story that happened a few years back. I was pastoring in, in Illinois, and I had a new family come into our church, and they were plugging into our church really well, and it was kind of exciting to see them get relationships and plug into different ministries. Really kind of fun to see them connect. And the husband actually asked me to, to have lunch, and I was really excited about that. And so uh, we got, to, got together at Panera to learn a little bit more about him, and the first 20 minutes went really well, and we were sharing my story, uh, he was sharing his story, we were hearing what God's done in their, each other's lives. It was really kind of a cool, fun moment, things that pastors get to do, and it's, it's really cool, cool moment, cool, cool time. But then the conversation shifted a bit, right? Because uh, he had a product that he wanted uh, me to be part of, to, be, to, to sell to me, right? Now, to be fair, uh, this was not a hard sale. It wasn't like he was using manipulative tactics by any means. This product, he actually felt was going to be beneficial to me, right? And so, uh, but it shifted the dynamic of that conversation. Because now I'm trying to evaluate, is this product for me? Is this good for me? All these different pieces. Where I was simply just trying to get to know him in the beginning. And my heart sank a little bit because I'm like, oh, how much, how much does he want to get a hold of me? How much does he want to catch with me? Because he cared for me, he wanted to know who I was. How much was it because he, he had this other motive, even if it was a good motive? It changes the dynamic when that happens, right? And when we view evangelism by being salesmen, we have a script to follow, or we focus on closing the deal, and we have all these different metrics and different things we have to get to when we're trying to have these conversations with people about Jesus. In addition to that, not all of us are wired to be salesmen. And it sets up this, this, uh, this, this, this per, per, 
personality that we're looking for evangelism that most of us in this room cannot meet. We cannot meet. And so we want to engage in that. And it makes somebody out to potentially be a project or view them as a customer that we're selling religious goods and services to. And that doesn't feel good for, for someone who's trying to hear about the good news of Jesus. Now, if you're in this room and you've ever felt like a project or a customer when someone's trying to share their faith, I just got to tell you that I'm sorry. That's not the heart that Jesus has for you. He wants you to know him fully. But he doesn't want you to be a project or to feel that way. He has a deeper level of love and care for you than that. What if we looked at a different approach to evangelism? And we looked at it being more of a travel guide instead of a salesman. When I was in high school, my uncle had invited me to come on a backpacking trip. And so we went up to upstate New York uh, to go backpacking. And so we went for four or five days in the woods. We lived off everything that was in our backpack. We hiked in beautiful terrain. I was hooked. I loved it. I loved being outside and being part of that adventure. And I was a backpacker. At that point, I was stuck and I was ready to be a backpacker. And then since, since then, I went on other backpacking trips. I've taken the most trips to Rocky Mountain National Park in the wild basin area of, wild, of Rocky Mountain National Park. And over the years, I've probably taken five or six trips there. I've guided about four of them uh, with eight to ten guys who've never been backpacking before. And they were so much fun. So much fun. Because we had to spend time talking on the trails. We're hiking together. And I knew the best trails. I knew where to camp and where not to camp. I knew which areas of the, of the trail were going to be really hard for these guys. I knew which ones they are going to absolutely love. I knew the time in their journey where they're going to miss their families the most. And how to meet them in the middle of that journey. I walked with them along this and shared backpacking. A love that I had, I was able to share with them, walking side by side them, by them on our hiking trip. When we're travel guides, we get to share these awesome, amazing stories that God has done in our life. And we get to share, this is what God's done in my life. This is what God's done in my world. When, when you're going through something, here's how I've dealt with it, how God met me in the moment of need. And when we view evangelism as being a travel guide, it's accessible not to just the elite few who are gifted in a certain skill set. It's accessible to everybody. Because we're sharing our stories. We're sharing what God has done in our lives with other people. Well, there's a couple of shifts I think we need to make in order to shift to be to being more travel guides than to be salesmen. The first one is being being collaborative. So collaboration over activism. That's a fill in the blank that you have. Now, if activism I'm defining as being our attempts to force evangelism into every different conversation, even when the door isn't open. You know, when the door is not even open, the door's shut, and we're trying to jam through it to bring it into a spiritual conversation. Uh, I remember a couple years ago, uh, it's probably, probably in college at this point, uh, but we had a, a friend of mine who was really trying to share his faith with so many different people, which is awesome. His heart was such in a good spot. But I remember having lunch at a restaurant, and there's a waitress that's serving us really well, and she's got a bunch of different tables, and she's kind of frantically going around, different tables and she's really helpful for us and really nice 
Uh, my friend was so bent on sharing the four spiritual laws with her that like, every time she came by, she took so much of her time to kind of talk about God questions and do you know where you're going to go when you die and all these different, these different tools and these scripts that are in her mind to lead to a spiritual conversation. And as she was doing it, could, I could tell this waitress was, was being very nice because she wants a good tip, right, for, for this, her job. Uh, but she was giving every other social cue that she was not opening this door. She was not ready for this conversation to have. My friend was just beating down this door, right, beating down this door to have this, this conversation. That's what I'm talking about being activism. We're trying to force these conversations into these relationships. What if we viewed it as being more collaborative? What if we really believed that the Holy Spirit was already working, the Holy Spirit is already pursuing people, the Holy Spirit has already been evangelizing with these, with these folks, with, with these people, well before they even, we even met them? Because that's true. God has been pursuing people. He loves these people. He has compassion for people. And so he is going after them. And he's using multiple different means. He's using people. He's using circumstances. He's using all these different ways to woo people, to pursue them. And what if we viewed it when we came next to somebody, that God was already working with them, that's already reaching out to them, and our job is to come alongside them, come right alongside them, and reach them the way God wants us, wants us to. Rick Richardson is a great author. He's a professor at Wheaton College um, that I, I was at, um, and he says it this way. He says, Nothing would transform our pictures and practices of evangelism like rediscovering the role of the Holy Spirit and learning to go along for the ride. Guys, that sounds exciting. Like going along with, for the ride with the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit's work and we're coming alongside the Holy Spirit is an exciting place to be. And if we viewed evangelism, if we would share our faith in that lens, I think we'd be much more effective. But doing that means that we're listening for the Holy Spirit's voice. That we're asking questions like, God, what are you doing here? In this room, as I go off the rest of my day, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? We view you are active. We, we believe you're active here. What are you doing? And how can I partner up with you? In the waitress example, if my friend just shifted a little bit and just was attuned to maybe what the, whole, what the waitress was, was looking for. In this case, I don't think it was much of anything, but maybe another waitress comes around and, he's, and our, my friend can tell this waitress going through something deep and difficult. And he asks a question like, hey, I, I sense you're going through something difficult. Uh, can I ask what's going on? And, that's, and if the waitress responds, and actually shares, that's an open door. She responds and says, yeah, I'm going through this really tough time. And, and my friend can then respond with God's prompting to either pray for that person and say, hey, may I can't pray for you. Or maybe he can share, hey, I went through a difficult time like that before. Here's how God got me through that. That's collaboration. Because we believe that God's already working in people's lives. And our job is not to force ourselves into it, but to come right along the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is, is doing. Well, another shift we can make is friendships over agenda. Friendships over agenda. That's in our fill-in-the-blank that you have. Agenda is very much like activism, where we're trying to kind of force and bring 
every conversation into a spiritual conversation, okay? Now, I have some friends like this in my, in my life. Uh, also, you might have friends like this in your life, too. You know, it's those folks who, who just kind of bring every conversation into a spiritual conversation. So I might say, hey, um, hey, Frank, can you get me a bottle of water as you're going by the fridge? Get me a bottle of water. And they say, yeah, I'll get a bottle of water. But what if, here's your bottle of water. What if I told you that there is water I can give you that you would never thirst again? No? And I'm like, uh, that's a little awkward. I just asked for some water. I'm thirsty right now, right? Or I say, hey, go turn the light switch on. Can you turn the lights on in that room? And they go, turn the light switch on. They come over. And every time I turn on a light switch, I just think about Jesus Christ being the light of the world, right? Uh, there was an open door there. They just kind of forced it. I mean, every, every conversation into a spiritual conversation. Do you have friends like that? Because I have friends like that sometimes. Okay, some of you guys do. I'm not alone. Uh, that was the agenda. There's an agenda. Maybe we're trying to seal the deal, or maybe we're trying to, there's a script in our mind we're trying to get through. We have these certain questions we want to ask somebody, and whatever it takes, we're just going to ask those questions. That's having an agenda. What if we actually have friendships? What if we viewed as being, uh, being a friend with somebody, whether they responded to the gospel or not? We're just going to be friends with somebody. But being friends with someone takes time because it involves trust. And if we're going to build trust with someone, we have to spend time with them. Right? We have to spend time with them. And we have to be authentic. We have to be vulnerable. We have to share some of our weaknesses, some of our challenges that we have, our downfalls, our pitfalls. We have to share this with people to gain trust and be friends. Because that's what friends do. And in the midst of friendships, God brings spiritual conversations. So maybe a neighbor comes over and says, man, my wife is driving me nuts. Oh, my kids are killing me right now. Well, this other neighbor is driving me crazy. That's an open door for us to talk about how do we respond to those things from a godly perspective. And you're going to say, yeah, my wife and I have had some challenges too. Here's how God has met us in the middle of our challenges. Evangelism. Or say, well, my kids were nuts like that when they were that age too, when they were, when they were like that. Here's how God got us through that one. Here's how we live our lives centered around Jesus in the midst of friendships. And we share our stories. Well, another shift we have is experience and knowledge. Now, you might notice that this is not an either or. This is not an or statement. This is experience and knowledge. Because knowledge is important for us to embrace the gospel. We need to know the truth of the gospel. We need to know the steps of the gospel. We need to understand what Jesus did on our behalf and what is our part in responding to the gospel. But when we just make it an intellectual exercise, we fall short of someone committing their life to Jesus. Most people, in fact, most people, in fact, I imagine most people in this room here need not just the knowledge of the gospel, they need to experience the gospel in some way, some form or fashion. John Wesley talks about a warming in his heart that happened. So he knew the gospel, but there was a warming in his heart that he just realized that God was real. He was there. He was tangible. For me, there was this supernatural peace that came over me. That I knew the gospel intellectually, but then God just kind of gave me this peace that I knew was that only could happen because God was real and in my life. For some of us, it might be an answer to prayer. In fact, I was talking to someone in the lobby right after last service, 
and he was sharing about this answers of prayer that he didn't really fully, he didn't fully commit his life to Jesus. He was still checking his Jesus guy out. And then he prayed a prayer, and God answered him. And he saw that as his own, God being real in his life and active, and he committed his life to Jesus. Most of us are in this, are in this boat. But it's not, it isn't just an intellectual exercise, but we've experienced something, whether it be a supernatural healing, whether it be a voice, an answer to prayer, something that God has touched in our life, that, he, that there's a thin space between heaven and earth, and God was real for us. Now, we can't manufacture those types of things in our people's lives. Those are things that God does. But we can share the stories that we have when God's done those in our life. And story is one of the best ways we can share our experiences. Now, story is hardwired in within us. It's a part of who we are as humans to desire story in our lives. This is why that when you have a friend who goes to a movie and has seen a movie, and uh, when, you, when he comes back from that movie, you beg him. You beg him not to tell you the ending of the story. Because you want to sit in, that, in those seats and you want to experience that story. You're hardwired for that story. I happen to be going through uh, the first three Star Wars ever made, so episodes four, five, and six, with my eight-year-old daughter. So it's fascinating to go through Star Wars again with, a, with, your, with your daughter. And since, since she's eight years old, she, pa- she wants me to pause for like every 15 minutes to like explain what is going on, right? Explain what's going on. I don't tell her the ending of the story, how it's going to end. I want her to experience all of that, you know? And so for her, lately, she's paused it one, a couple weeks ago. She paused it, and she comes to me and says, Dad, Darth Vader is Luke's father? And I'm like, yeah, isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? She's like, and Princess Leia is Luke's sister? And I'm like, yeah, isn't that crazy? She says, Dad, they kissed. They kissed. And I'm like, I know that's so awkward. I'm sure it's awkward for them too, right, when they realize that. But she's experiencing this story for the very first time, right? We're hardwired <laughs> for these stories. And it's one of the best ways we actually can share what God is doing in our lives. You know, for my family, um, we get some questions of our family because uh, we've got a lot of kids. Um, but two of them um, are adopted. You can tell they're adopted because they're a different shade of color than I am, right? So they're adopted, and so people might ask us the question of our adoption story, right? Which is a great, great question to be asking. Uh, to be asking, I don't give them just the steps I need to take to become an adoptive family. I didn't tell you this is a class you need to take, or here's the steps you need to navigate, and this is court dates or whatever. I don't, I don't go through that kind of stuff. That's not the, that, that, that might be the knowledge of how a family becomes an adoptive family, I tell them the story that God has written into our family. I tell them the story of how God, how God gripped my wife and I to be open to this and how he plan, how He had cared so much for kids and that he designed this family the way it is constructed right here, right now, to be a testament of how good he is. I'm telling the story of what God has done in the Pittman family. Because of the experience that we've experienced, and why God to get the glory, because he's the hero in the midst of that. Now, we don't just share the stories that are like big, like life-changing stories. We share everyday stories. We share the stories of how God met us today, or how God met us this week. Even if it seems small, 
we start sharing the stories where God is the hero, where God gets the glory, where God is the one we're focusing on and wrapping our whole life around. Those are the stories that we tell. Now, as we wrap this up, in your bulletin, there's a really cool resource. It's by the author I quoted before, Rick Richardson, called Reimagining Evangelism. Love this book. It's one of the ways we can just kind of reclaim this evangelism word to make it accessible for anybody uh, who is a Christ follower. But as we wrap up, I really want to challenge us. I really want to challenge us to really take in the scripture in Matthew 9. What if we read Matthew 9, verse 35 through 38, and we internalized it for ourselves as we went out into our world? What if we believe that when Jesus looks around, you know, the people you meet with every single day, the people you work with, the people you go to school with, the people you walk past their houses in your neighborhood, the people at the grocery store, and your heart had compassion for them. Because Jesus' heart has compassion for them. It's not pity for them, it's compassion for them. What if we went around and our heart grew closer and closer to Jesus? Because I believe when our hearts align and get closer and closer to the heart that Jesus has for people, we can't help but share this good news. And friends, this is good news. This is the greatest news in the history of the universe. That we'd be compelled and excited to share. But we weren't sharing out, out, of, out of guilt, but we'd be sharing out of compassion, looking to collaborate with what the Holy Spirit is doing, developing deep friendships with people, and simply sharing the stories when God brings, brings, brings opportunities our way. I believe that the 200 people in this room, if we went out with that type of a heart, that lives would be changed. First starting with us and countless people that God has placed us in proximity to to hear the good news and some may follow. Someone did this with you. Your story of committing your life to Jesus involves somebody who came alongside you, befriended you, and told you the good news because they loved you deeply. Evangelism is simply passing that on. It's sharing our faith with people that Jesus desperately loves. And if we as Spring Lake do that, we'll be excited about it, we'll be eager to participate in what God's already doing in our lives. Let's pray with me. Father, we pray a pretty bold prayer here that you would send out workers into the harvest field and they would start with us. That you would put opportunities in front of us with the people you put us, you've placed us close to to have spiritual conversations, not in a forced way, but that you would bring those up. We're thankful that you've already gone ahead of us and that you are already working and pursuing people and we just ask as your disciples, as your followers, to include us in what you are doing to reach the people you love. Your friends, name we pray.